I began my call in September of 2020, which I do not recommend if you are wondering about starting pastoral ministry in the middle of COVID. It's not high on the list of things that I, make, I think makes pastoral ministry easy. But to make my own journey even more interesting, I was right at the end of the ordinary season, leading into Advent as I began my call. And so for about the first six to eight weeks that I was there, it was just apocalyptic reading after apocalyptic reading after apocalyptic reading in the lectionary. Every day, every Sunday, I got to walk into church and proclaim with a smile upon my face, congratulations, it's the end of the world. And considering the season of life we were all walking through, a season that was marked heavily by conflict and by disease, these readings felt more relational for the congregation I was preaching to than ever before. And as a pastor, it was my joy to get to point out glad tidings in the news of Jesus Christ riding upon a cloud. And yes, it's true that none of us know the day or the hour, but we long for it. To get to take these texts that we view as frightening and proclaim them as good news. To tease the meaning out there. And then I had a miracle not in my personal life, but a text to preach on. This miraculous healing where we hear from the word of the Lord, go, your faith has made you well. And I have never been more frightened to preach on a text in my life. I wanted to say, let's go back to the end of the world for a moment, because there's something about preaching to a group of people that is dealing with pain, dealing with loss, and we have this proclamation from the Lord who has given sight to the blind, go, your faith has made you well. And I am preaching to the faithful who have aches and their knees, whose eyesight is going, whose hearing isn't what it used to be. And I had a moment where I asked myself, how do I make this good news? Because confessionally, and pastors aren't supposed to confess from the pulpit, but I'm not standing up there, so we're going to do it this morning. Confessionally, for me, it's so much easier to take these texts that we have questions about and confusion about, and we're not sure why it's good news to us, and to tease that out and help answer the riddle and the mystery of faith for the people that are gathering here and have questions. But our question when we have texts, these miraculous healings, these exhortations not to worry, our response tends to be, why not me? Why not me? I am faithful. Where is my healing? And when we read this text in Matthew today, which is beautiful, it's a text that I quote all the time, consider the lilies of the field, Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed as richly as these. But it is also a text that frequently makes me want to argue with Jesus. To sit down with him and say, Lord, Messiah, Savior, I think you might be a little out of touch. <laughs> and that is conviction. 
That is conviction when myself, as a pastor, I recognize that desire to argue with God with this text. But I think part of the reason we find ourselves in this conviction, and I know that you have a very good pastor who has been training you recently to consider not just the passage that you're looking at, but the full context of the scripture that it's situated in. And Matthew chapter 6 is a fantastic chapter. This takes place right in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. The Lord is preaching on a mountaintop to people gathered there, all sorts of people. The poor and the wealthy alike have come to hear the words of this crazy preacher. They heard his cousin before, and his cousin's now sitting in prison, and so they don't have access to the camel hair and the locust and the honey quite like they used to. But this Jesus guy is doing something new. And so they come and they listen to him. And if you, if you look in your pew Bible, just so you know I'm not making this up, it's page 1380. It starts with a proclamation to give to the needy. And as soon as I see that, I'm like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have called Jesus out of touch. Jesus is very aware that there are those amongst us who have needs not being met. Your community is aware of that. That's why you have a food pantry. That's why you look outwards and seek ways to feed the community around you, hopefully not just physically, because is not life more than bread, more than eating and drinking, but also spiritually in proclaiming the spiritual food and the hope that exists there. And our Lord goes on, moving past giving to the needy, to prayer, exhorting the people around him to, yes, please pray to the Lord, pray to your Father, and if you don't know how, I will give you the words to do it. He hands us down a gift that has stayed with us from age to age, the Lord's prayer, words we have when we have nothing of our own. Will the Lord not provide for you? Will the Lord not give to you? He talks to us about fasting, how to fast faithfully, to fast in a way that gives glory to God and allows us to experience faithful discipline in our own lives rather than seeking glory for ourselves. And he asks us to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures here. And if we listen to each of these small lessons, these small promises along the way, the promise that, yes, you have the poor with you now. You have the poor with you now, but you have me with you as well. And in Christ, you find a promise that the hungry will not always be hungry, that the grieving will not always be weeping, that there is a new age coming and dawning for each of us, a promise that we celebrate not just on the Easter morning that took place last week, but on this Easter morning as well, the promise that we worship a living God, a present God, a God that cannot be out of touch because this was a God that took upon flesh and was born in a manger and suffered every indignity of human life. This was a God that relied on his mother to change his diaper. This was a God that fished 
with his friends in the ocean and the sea, a God that probably stubbed his toe once or twice along the dusty streets of Jerusalem. This is a God that knows pain and a God that knows joy, a God that has witnessed and experienced poverty and has seen sometimes the callousness of wealth. And so when we are given this proclamation today, that you do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. When we are given this proclamation today that the Lord will provide for us, it is not an invitation for me to take up the mantle of preachers that have come before me and packed the pews and give you the good promise of the prosperity gospel and promise that if you behave well, all good things will be given to you, and you'll have that fancy sports car and that clothing that you want because we're going to try to outdress the lilies here. Even Solomon in all his glory did not receive that. But what this is, is a promise and a direction to look at the world around us and see where God has already provided for us. When people ask me what my proof of the gospel is, I often direct them to look at trees. And I know that seems silly, and don't worry, I'm not about to get into creation worship here. But we have these big, beautiful plants that grow on the ground. They provide for us shade and something pretty to look at. And they breathe out the air that we need to fill our lungs and they breathe in the air that we cannot use. Creation cries out with messages of God's love. Creation has written, we see the Lord's fingerprints in every part of it, in the birds of the air that have plenty to fill their bellies, and the lilies of the ground that don't just make me sneeze, but provide me with something beautiful to look upon that seem to shout out that the Lord is good. Do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry for itself. In this proclamation, we are given a freedom, because the reality is the thing that very often keeps us from acting on God's love in our life is fear about what that will bring for us. If I go to my neighbor and I tell my neighbor in sincerity and in love that the Lord loves them, if I am willing to have that conversation with my coworkers, if I am willing to have that conversation when the Holy Spirit opens the door for me to have it, and you know what I'm talking about, you know those moments in your life where the Holy Spirit has opened a pathway for you to have those conversations and you stepped away from it out of fear. What are you afraid of? What tomorrow will bring? That you may be a little less popular? What are we afraid of when we hesitate to give generously to our neighbor in need? When we hesitate to invite the outsider in? We are afraid of what tomorrow may bring, that we may not have enough. That somebody may think differently of us and we are willing to step out and do exactly what the Lord has asked us to do earlier in this chapter to care for the needy, to pray boldly to our Father, to fast, to live lives of faith, not just here on Sunday morning, 
but every day in between. We're worried about what tomorrow will bring. And in this passage, the Lord isn't tisk tisking us for having moments of anxiety and doubt and fear. This direction not to worry, this is a direction like a mother speaking to a child who is worried about what is under their bed, who is worried about that thing that doesn't matter or doesn't exist. Because these are the things that so often keep us from seeking the kingdom of God. But I have to ask you a question today. Do you believe that our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you believe this? And do you people of God believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back? to judge the living and the dead. Do we believe this? Then what have we to fear? We have already been told what the kingdom of God looks like. And that is a kingdom where the blind see once more, where the ears of the deaf are unstopped and the legs of the lame leap once more. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is described as a place where the roads are paved with gold, where the hungry poor weep no more, where the proud have been cast down from their thrones. We have been told what the kingdom we seek looks like, and that is the kingdom we anticipate. That is the kingdom we wait for, but that is the kingdom we have already seen. You saw it on Easter morning. You, let me get a little controversial. Are you ready? Hold on to your hats. Let's do it. You are not citizens of the state of California or citizens of the United States of America. I'm freeing you of this this morning. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are given permission today to act on that, to seek to build up first and foremost, this kingdom that has been entrusted to us, to answer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King that will come again. When the Lord tells us not to worry today, the Lord is acknowledging that we will stumble along the way, that sometimes there are stumbling blocks in front of us that we don't cast aside as Paul directs us, we just run right over them, face plant. That is Christian life. The Lord is acknowledging that we have anxieties about our day-to-day -day life. How am I going to get my kid there on time? How am I going to fill up my car full of gas? How am I going to make sure there's enough food on the table? How am I going to keep up with my neighbor? And some of those worries and anxieties can only be answered by the generosity of our neighbor for time. But all of those worries and anxieties have already been answered by the generosity of our Lord, who has given us a foretaste of the feast to come, who has shown us what to anticipate, what to hope for, in the kingdom of God and has left us a promise that he did not leave us here alone but sent to us an advocate, a guide, 
a director in the Holy Spirit, and sent us a promise that when just two or more are gathered in his name, he is there with us also. We answer to a living God, a present God, and we live our lives in the knowledge that it is his will, his kingdom, that we anticipate and answer to. And that is good news, to worship a generous, loving, forgiving God, not just on this day, but on every day to follow. And not just in this age, but in the age of ages, to be invited into an eternal life where we are clothed greater than the lilies, where our bellies are filled upon the bread of life, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your wisdom, even in moments where we want to argue against it, even in moments where it convicts us. We praise you for the promises of your kingdom to come, the kingdom that we long for and seek, the kingdom that we are running after with the knowledge that you have made us citizens, adopted us into your family and into your kingdom through your body and your blood and the waters of baptism. Lord, help us to seek you first and foremost, to find our comfort in your word and your promises and the proclamation that you are present, that you are coming back, and that you are good. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.